Hello and welcome to another Use of Force. This week, in tandem with our walk covering the loose ends of Manhattan, which for us included the streets of Midtown and the Upper East Side, we will be covering an instance involving a man named Gary Conrad. I will read the Use of Force report now. Midtown North Precinct, male, white, 46, May 18th, 2016. On Wednesday, May 18th, 2016, at approximately 7.31 hours, two police officers assigned to the Midtown North Precinct Strike Auto responded to a radio run of a disorderly group congregating outside at West 49th Street and 8th Avenue. A sergeant assigned to the same detail was already present at the scene when the officers arrived. Responding officers observed a group of Verizon employees protesting at the location. They remained on scene to maintain a peaceful and orderly demonstration. One of the officers was alerted to a customer dispute at a nearby food emporium located at 810 8th Avenue at West 49th Street by an employee of the supermarket. At approximately 8.25, the officer entered the food emporium and observed the subject yelling and cursing at employees. Once the officer entered the supermarket, the subject left. The officer followed the subject and attempted to engage him just outside of the establishment. A struggle ensued, and the officer wrestled the perpetrator to the ground in an attempt to handcuff him. The subject brandished a folding knife. The sergeant and the other officer on scene ran to assist the confronted officer. They aimed their service weapons at the armed subject, who advanced toward the officers still brandishing the knife. The officers discharged their firearms at the subject, resulting in his demise. The perpetrator's folding knife was recovered at the scene. A female bystander was struck in the wrist by a police bullet. Her wounds were not fatal. So, Gary Conrad was a unionized stagehand. He had been working at the Eugene O'Neill Theater where the Book of Mormon had been performed. He had just recently been fired from the Mary Poppins show and according to one of his co-workers this morning of May 18th 2016 Gary Conrad showed up to work at 7.30 in the morning and was drunk and smelled like alcohol. His coworkers told him to go home and sober up. He then went over to the food emporium. It's unclear how the coworkers knew that he was going there. I guess either he said that or they could just see him. Mm -hmm. But they called the food emporium and told them not to serve him any beer. And then when the food emporium employees wouldn't serve him alcohol or sell him alcohol, he started, they got into an argument. They started fighting. And as we heard in the use of force report, when the police officers came into the food emporium, Gary Conrad did leave. And that lines up with all of the reporting. Something that doesn't quite line up is exactly how the struggle 
started, the officer writing the use of force said that they followed the subject and attempted to engage him just outside of the establishment. According to some, both eyewitnesses and video that came out a few years later, it looks like Conrad was leaving and walking away and the officer pulled him by the string of his backpack to the ground from behind and it's unclear so eyewitnesses are saying that they don't they didn't hear him say to Gary Conrad that he's under arrest or necessarily ask him to stop hmm. and so people imagine that maybe Gary Conrad just thought he was, you know, had to leave the store and was leaving. So, and in the video, there's no audio, so there's no way to know for sure. The other thing that's a little bit strange about how this all lines up with the report is that the officer, it's Officer Gleason, who interacted the most with Conrad and Gleason explained that he considered Conrad to be an emotionally disturbed person and he said that he knew this because he was the way he was clenching and unclenching his fists he was also um shouting curse words and slurs at Gleason. Um, Conrad was calling him the N-word, even though Gleason is white. Either, you know, That's a word that people don't typically use unless they're extremely upset or emotionally disturbed anyway. Mm. But this language, especially in this situation, seemed strange. Conrad was also smiling the whole time. And I guess these are these were all listed by Officer Gleason as indicators of an emotionally disturbed person. Mm -hmm. They must be things that the police are trained to look for. But what doesn't quite line up is that because of all those things and because Officer Gleason was considering Gary Conrad to be an emotionally disturbed person, there are extra rules for what to do in that case. And I know we've talked about it before on here, but there's the zone of safety that they're meant to keep, the officers are meant to keep right. distance between themselves and the person in question. They're also supposed to keep distance between the person and anyone that's around. They're not supposed to use any force. They're not supposed to surprise them. They're supposed to wait for additional police officers who are specifically trained to deal with inc incidents like this. Right. So after this all happened, the officer Gleason, or right after he wrote in the report all of these things listed out, but then a few weeks later, he denied all of that and said that he did not think that he was an emotionally disturbed person. Mm. So 
the other thing to talk about in the actual moments of this incident would be, I think, the weapon. So Gary Conrad had on him a folding knife, and it was a typical knife that someone in his position as a stagehand would have. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't think that he was, it wouldn't typically be, you know, his intention to use that on a person. It's probably just something that he had on him because he was going to work. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing about in the, in the moment that we should mention is that the woman that was shot, the bystander that was shot, she ended up suing the city and winning a case for $1.3 million because her hand and wrist were unable to really be used again. And she was really upset that this had happened. Um, She didn't, she was very close by, obviously, that's why she got shot. But she didn't feel as if there was any need to use this type of force against him. She, from what she could see, it seemed like he would have been easy to control using a taser or baton or something like that. Right. Well, that's what the description of the events would indicate. Yeah. It seems unclear why a gun needed to be used in this case. Yeah. The, there's a quote from an interview with, this woman's name is Lauren Code, and her lawyer, Barry Levin, is quoted saying, Conrad was killed for no apparent reason other than the cop was a cowboy. So referencing that the, the cops were just overwhelmed with the situation and trying to make a dramatic, uh, and, and trying to sort of overdo it. Right. Well, yeah, they were probably frustrated with this man's erratic behavior, probably with the smiling, probably mm-hmm. thought that he was being impudent and yeah. wanted to, well, wanted to. I don't I don't think anybody wants to do something like this necessarily. It's more of an emotional response to the situation. Right. Yeah, that's probably a good point, the fact that these things that were listed out that are obviously things that would signal someone not being quite in the right frame of mind and needing some additional assistance, those would also be easily things that would make someone angry. Right. So, yeah, it seems like the police in this instance just weren't able to separate their own feelings from their job yeah it's the order part of law and order and this is a person that was acting in a disordered way and these officers are meant to keep order and it is in the most black and white rigid sense of order and if people aren't listening to you and you have a gun and you're maintaining order None of this justifies this behavior, but you can start to think out why something like this would happen if somebody doesn't have their own emotions under control in a situation like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I 
can definitely think it out. And I guess it just speaks to why there needs to be more training or, um, you know, patience or something needs to change in the way that things are policed. Yeah. So to give a little more context to Gary Conrad, there's some... Um, there's some information that came from his family and his co-workers that um, might, might explain part of what happened here. He apparently a few years earlier had been mugged and had been hit in the head during the mugging with a, with a bat mm-hmm. and his skull was cracked. And both his brother and his coworkers said that previous to that that incident, he was a hardworking member of the stagehands local, and he had a really great sense of humor. He was sort of soft-spoken. He was very gentle and friendly. And that after that happened, he was still all of those things many of the time, but he also would be quick to get angry. He was drinking a lot. When he was drinking, he was often fighting with the people, like the other patrons in the bar. And yeah, they all they all pointed to that incident of the mugging to have affected him. And so it's unclear if it affected him purely in a physical way or if it was some form of PTSD or what exactly or a mix of both but on the other hand an employee of the food emporium said that she knew gary conrad and that he came in every day he's always drunk he's always trouble she said he buys cheap beer and he lives on the street which the last part wasn't true. He lives in Washington, or he lived in Washington Heights. And yeah, the, the co-workers and the brother would tell a different story. And it's unfortunate, I guess just, I think it just speaks to how, you know, we only see this one part when we're, especially when it's a stranger, we're really only seeing this one part of who they are. And I think the police in particular are only seeing the worst parts of most people. Mm -hmm. And in this incident, even his coworkers, you know, they had previously earlier in the morning told him to go home and had called the food emporium and asked them not to serve him any more beer. And I'm sure that was for his own good as well. That was their goal. But, you know, they're seeing this person that they care about having a hard time and the people at the food emporium and the police are just seeing someone that is angry and acting erratic. Yeah. And the other thing about this, um, just to add one more confusing element, is that he actually didn't have any drugs or alcohol in his system in the autopsy Hmm. so i don't really know how an autopsy works i don't know if possibly if they did it later 
that could have gone out of his system in some way. But I would think that if someone was as drunk as it sounds like he was after as, as everyone thought he was, you would think it would show up. Right. Yeah, it's very perplexing. Yeah. Or he was not drunk, but acting drunk, hungover. Yeah. And he was looking to get drunk again. Possibly. Or I also wonder if, I mean, I know the, of course, the Food Emporium employee is saying that he does come in a lot and buy beer. And his coworkers said that he did go out to drink a lot. So he clearly was drinking sometimes. But I also just wonder if the experience of mugging and having his skull cracked could have created a a way of being that is similar to how someone seems when they are drinking. Yeah. Yeah, that's unclear, obviously. Yeah. No, and it's not something I know about enough, and it it's also not something that I've had a chance to research. That's purely just my own wondering. I mean, something about his behavior must have been out of the normal, even post the mugging issue, if he was sent home that particular day. Yeah. One would think. Yeah. And then... As far as the officers are concerned, they have a postscript of their own. Right. So the officers are named Adolfo Peralta, Kevin Gleason, and Mark Amundsen. The first two that I mentioned are police officers. The third is a sergeant. The All three of them are still named in the Conrad versus the City of New York lawsuit that is Gary Conrad's brother who is suing the city and had taken a lawsuit out against the officers as well. The lawsuit against the officers was dismissed by a grand jury but it seems as though the the case against the city is still pending. Police officer Adolfo Peralta also has a second lawsuit listed on Capstat, which I'm not sure what it's about, but it's from 2015. It's Devereux versus the city of New York. Mm-hmm. And as is something that we've noticed happens frequently, or at least frequently enough to see a pattern, these three officers were named the finest of the finest for brave and valiant action taken to defend their lives and the lives of fellow police officers and innocent civilians in the PBA's, which is the Police Benevolent Association's 2018 Finest of the Finest Awards. Yeah. So... So, Two years after the incident? Yeah. So two years later... All named at the same time? Yes, the three of them were all presented the same award for the same incident. Yeah. And, yeah, along with, so they're not the only people that got that award in that event. There's about 
20 other awards that were given. And there's a number of awards in this, this event that were given to people that saved the lives of babies. And there's someone that saved the life of a pregnant victim. There's also a couple other incidents where officers were involved in some sort of use of force incident and then given an award later. And yeah, and we've talked about this before. It obviously rubs me the wrong way. It's, it feels like the Police Benevolent Association is, in particular with these awards that are given to people that have ultimately been involved in an incident that led to someone's death, it feels like they're trying to balance things out on their end so that they don't have to deal with something negative, either firing an officer or dealing with the public's disapproval or feeling uncomfortable. You know, like it really just feels like trying to balance some sort of scales of discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. It likely exists outside the scope of this particular series that we're doing, but it is one of the more compelling, the word compelling suggests that it's like um, attractive, but it's not. It's like one of the more uh, pursuit-worthy threads that we've seen Yeah, here, in that there is this thing that I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that there are awards that are given out, but I don't think I've necessarily heard about these types of awards. I mean, I, I think they're more meant to reassure and solidify behaviors and officers inside and their families and yeah. to bolster support and to alleviate doubt and anxiety about the actions that were made. Yeah. All sorts of things to smooth over what are real troubling things that happened. And it would be interesting to look at this annual, presumably annual ceremony, and perhaps other similar ceremonies that the police have, and cross-reference the incidents with uh, the actual reporting. Because there's, I mean, if you're equating this instance with saving a baby's life, you know, it just, that doesn't make sense. Unless you're trying to make a false equivalency. Yeah. Just to give you a fuller picture here, there's about, like I said, about 20 incidents listed out on this NYC PBA, so New York City Police Benevolent Association.org press release. And it's broken down into areas 
of the city. So Manhattan South is, there's two awards. One is the one we're speaking of. It's given to the three officers that were involved in this incident. And the headline is they were awarded for their brave and valiant action taken to defend their lives and the lives of fellow police officers and innocent civilians in a confrontation with a knife-wielding assailant. And then right below that, also in Manhattan South, is police officer Matthew McGrath, who was named the finest of the finest for swift and decisive action taken to help save the life of a two-month-old choking victim. Right. So, yeah, I would think, I mean, I think what's really interesting to me about this, too, is that this police officer, Matthew McGrath, probably doesn't need an award. If you've just saved the life of a two-month-old that was choking, and in this case it's because the child had swallowed a baby wipe and the nanny wasn't, you know, wasn't able to get it out of the child's mouth. And of course, if you go and save the life of a baby, you're going to feel good about yourself. You're not going to need an award to assure you that you did a good job. You obviously did a good job. You saved the life of a baby. Whereas well, the incident that we're talking about where you've killed someone I understand the thought process of the police association to want to assure their officers that it's okay, you should keep working, you know, yeah, you, you killed someone. That's something that is probably going to weigh on people. But in some cases, that should weigh on them. Like maybe instead of giving them an award, they should be removed from the force so that they can deal with the weight of killing someone yeah i mean and it and of course that's just me thinking about this in the moment and yeah i i agree with you i think that these would be a, a interesting place to start the research and go backwards and see what these incidents all are that led to getting awards but i, I yeah. would just say that I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the awards ceremonies, and I think that in a future where the behavior of the police is improved, it could be a part of a cocktail of solutions to improving the caliber of behavior, because it allows you to elevate behavior that is exemplary. Right. It's just that adding something like this to the equation is more about buttressing an unthinking support for the officers that are doing a difficult job, but this is not an instance that should be lauded. It's no. an instance that should be reflected on. Right. And, I, and of course, yes, it is a difficult job and I'm sure there are some incidents 
and some that we've even spoken about where it's unclear what the officer could have done better. In that moment, there maybe was no other choice. In this particular incident, it seems like there might have been a number of other choices. And it definitely just doesn't seem like something that should be awarded. So before we wrap this up, I just want to say one more thing that was kind of interesting. This incident happened the day after the National Fraternal Order of Police Foundations launched a campaign to reconnect communities after there had been a, a rise in officer-involved shootings. So they had just been speaking about how there needed to be less officer-involved shootings the day before this happened. And I just think that ties in a little bit with what we're talking about with the awards. Mm -hmm. But I don't have much else to say about it. Yeah. So. Okay, well, as always, if you are interested in this use of force, if you have more information about this use of force, if you'd like to discuss it more, please reach out to us so that uh, we can talk more or learn more about the instance. And until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.